Church, <clears throat> during this season of Advent, this season of waiting, these four weeks leading up to Christmas, um, in worship, we are going to do something uh, a little different, a little bit playful, which is to look at the coming of Christ from the perspective of four different animals that are commonly associated with the Christmas story. The animals are a camel, a donkey, a sheep, and a cow. Uh, now, the important thing about these animals, well, if you have a manger scene or a crash at home, yes, maybe you're familiar with these animals. Uh, at a Goodwill or some international gift stores, you can find one packaged in a little puzzle like this, all the animals crammed in together. Um, so these animals commonly find themselves with a place uh, in the stable or close to the manger on Christmas Day. The important thing about these animals, though, is that they are going to each represent a different um, spiritual posture or position, which is really essential for us uh, as followers of Jesus to find ourselves in if we are going to truly welcome the Savior of the world, not only to the planet, but into our lives and into our homes. Uh, to help with this, our discipleship department here has composed a series of Advent devotions. This is something that you could share with your grandkids or your kids at bedtime or around the dinner table. Um, you can subscribe to these via email and have them drop to you. The simplest way is to do this, to text these four letters, ECRC, to 292929. This is a fairly redemptive use for your telephone, okay? <laughs> Lots of times I don't encourage folks to like pull out your phone and be surfing in church. If you want to do this right now, more power to you. Uh, each weekend, a longer devotion, kind of from the perspective of one of the animals, will appear on your phone. And then during the week, there will be short text reminders to help link back to the story and what happens here on Sunday morning worship. So it's really a wonderful way to kind of keep connected to what happens here on Sunday and keep us all in God's word and in the stories together. So today, picking up on the theme of Rev's prayer and uh, Psalm 27, which we've just sang, is all about the spiritual posture of waiting. And no better animal on God's green earth symbolizes the capacity to wait it out than the camel. So, a few fun facts about camels before we get too far into it. So, camels, uh, archaeologists and biologists tell us, were first domesticated about 2,000 years ago uh, in the Arabian Peninsula and in the Middle East. And uh, among the first mentions of camels in all of human writing are camels in the Bible. When God calls Father Abraham long ago to move from what is now modern-day Iraq to the promised land in Israel, there are camels among his household possessions. Probably the first mention of domesticated camels for the human race. Uh, in the ancient Hebrew language, the word for camel is gamal. Sounds very much like our English word for camel, right? And this word in Hebrew, gamal, is a verb that literally means to go without, or to separate or wean someone away from something. So built into the very name and word for camel is this idea of going without, or waiting it out, or sticking it out. 
Now, I have to confess to you, in the pages of the New Testament, in the uh, gospel recordings of the Christmas story, camels are never explicitly mentioned. So how is it that every manger scene has camels and that every wise man has at least one camel? Well, I'll share these verses with you from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come now to worship him. So here's the connection. These magi, these wise men, these astrologers from the east, okay, see a star in the sky and take it to mean that a new king of the Jews has been born. How many of them are there? Doesn't say. What country were they from? Doesn't say. How far did they travel to get Jerusalem? To Jerusalem? Doesn't say. How long did it take? Doesn't say. What were their names? Doesn't say. What race were they? Doesn't say. How did they get there? Well, on camels, of course. (laughs) No, it doesn't say. But they came from the east, and in the language of the Middle East, there is a phrase that the camel is the ship of the desert. If you are traveling a long distance in Arabia or in the Middle East, Uh, particularly 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 years ago, the preferred mode of getting around to both carry you and up to 500 pounds per camel of your baggages was the camel. So, it's the camel. A few more awesome things. Um, I was on a trip to India with my wife Sarah and Will and about seven others uh, just a couple weeks ago, and I saw this in downtown Delhi. There's a camel taxi, right? So you could rent this camel, hop in the little rickshaw ride. It has like pretty major uh, semi-tires on the back. I mean, if a camel can carry 500 pounds, it can for sure pull you, your family, and all your friends. I have seen very few of these in Chicago. <laughs> there are different types of camels in the world, two main ones in the eastern Uh, part of the planet. Here's the most common one that we think of, the Arabian or dromedary camel, camel, one one hump, okay? Here's the other, maybe even more awesome kind of camel, the Chinese or Mongolian or Bactrian camel, two humps, thank you very much. All right, does anyone know what the camel's hump is actually made out of? Fat. Fat, yes, Not water, fat. Mac Wiener, gold star at the end of church today. (laughs) Now, knowing that it's made of fat, it can kind of feel good that we maybe have a little bit of camel in us as well, right? (laughs) So, here's how great God has made the camel. Storing up reserves of fat in its hump, a camel can go up to 10 months without food or drink if it's not working too hard, okay? If there is a severe drought in the Middle East or northern India or southern China, a herdsman can lose all of his cows, all of his sheep, all of his goats, and 80% of the camels will survive. The camels are built to last. Even in severe heat, a camel can work hard around the clock all day and drink nothing for seven days. 
A camel is made when it has the opportunity, however, to rehydrate. Best animal on the planet. A camel can absorb 25 gallons of water in less than five minutes. That's not just drink 25 gallons of water. That's absorb into its uh, bloodstream and start storing that water with its own system. A camel hardly sweats. A camel's body temperature can go north of 106 degrees before even a bead of perspiration will appear on the camel. That's not 106 degrees out. That's its body temperature getting to 106 degrees. I said to Rev early, we should have camels preach here. No more like pastors with sweaty armpits and stuff. (laughs) Camel never sweats. So praise God for the camel, hey? It's amazing how well-suited and adapted the camel is to the hot and dry climate of the Middle East. Now, here's why I bring all this up. It's kind of cool how camels are. But God has designed us, if you can use your imagination for just a little bit, God has designed us to be camels of a different kind, spiritual camels. Can you picture yourself as a camel? Okay? There's a camel with no face. Use your brain and your little heart and put your face on that camel. It is now Larry the camel. Okay? It is Jan the camel. (laughs) I want you to cling on to this image. All right? What camels are amazing at in the biological and physiological world, God has designed you and I as his sons and daughters and his family to be amazing at in the spiritual world. But here's the big problem. We hate to wait for things. Is it just me? We can't stand waiting for things. The truth is, we are designed, God-given, to have the spiritual capacity to wait it out, comparable to a camel's physical capacity, but we just don't believe we have this in ourselves. I read an Advent devotional earlier this week that used uh, the phrase, come into the military, hurry up and wait, which is often, you know, spoken uh, kind of ironically If you do something like this, you have an 8 o'clock doctor's appointment, you get yourself up really early, you leave the house before there's traffic, you get to your appointment 10 minutes early, you, you know, you're in the door, you're the first one, they check you in, and then you wait 45 minutes, right, before they call your name. Hurry up and wait. Ugh. We have this when you have a morning meeting downtown, you get in your car, you think you're going to beat traffic, and then you sit on the Eisenhower for an hour and a half. Hurry up and wait. We get frustrated when we put forth our best proactive effort and then the fruits of all our hurrying or preparing or trying are lost. And in fact, we are reminded that often we are going nowhere. And we don't like it. We don't like waiting. We don't like the sensation that we're spinning the wheels, that we're not getting ahead. Now, the bad news this morning, church is that this sense of hurry up and wait is endemic to the spiritual life. Waiting 
If you are going to have a life with God, a genuine life with God, there is going to be copious amounts of waiting that are involved. I didn't know this when I was a young person. Okay, I grew up in a Christian home, dedicated myself to Christ. You know, a little later on, I had tons of enthusiasm and excitement as a young person and in my early 20s. Couldn't wait. Things were changing inside of me, around me. I thought all of life would be just one more victory after another, one more optimistic good change after another. And then I grew up and realized that a lot of my life is just like sitting on the Eisenhower going nowhere, spiritually speaking. So if you're a young person or college student here today, I don't mean to discourage you, but it's true If you're going to grow up and become a mature Christian, you need to grapple with the art of becoming a spiritual camel and waiting with God and waiting for God. Here's why it's so essential that we can imagine ourselves as spiritual camels. It's essential because God makes us promises. And God's promises sometimes, oftentimes, almost all the time, take a very, very long time to come true. It's just the way it is. From the beginning of time, from the first pages of the Bible, God has been promising things, that love would beat hate, that good will win out over evil, that he will send a promised one, a Messiah. Already in the Garden of Eden, God promises that he will send one to crush the head of the serpent, the evil one. To Abraham, God reaches out to him and promises him thousands of years before Christ that through him, his life and his descendants will bless many nations. God promises King David in ancient Israel that the scepter will never depart from his house, that one of his heirs will sit on the throne of Israel. How long did these promises take to come true? Months, years, decades, hundreds of years, millennia before God's promises in the scripture have become to come true. And that's just the promises to the insiders, those who are part of the kingdom of Israel. God makes promises to the outsiders too, to the Gentiles, that a light will shine so brightly in Israel that nations will be drawn to its brightness and kings that the Messiah will come not just for the chosen ones, but to spread God's love and good news to everybody. How long did it take for that promise to get answered? It's still being answered. Those are just the promises in the big picture that hold to all of us. You may be sitting here today uh, as someone to whom the Holy Spirit has also promised you in particular something very specific or something very um, meaningful. Maybe you have heard God's voice promise you something in the depth of your heart that taps into your core level desires. My suspicion is that if you have had that experience, You are sitting here today not as someone who can say, yep, and God has answered that 100% in a very neat, tidy, uh, packageable way. 
I stand before you as someone who has heard the voice of God, and I am still waiting. I have seen the signs, I have tasted it in part, but I am still standing here today in large part, waiting and hoping and praying. Our challenge in becoming spiritual camels is to be able to find some meaning and purpose even while we wait. Because unless you follow God in a phony kind of way, you are going to be waiting. You are. So I'd like to share with you two uh, short little phrases uh, to help encourage uh, this growth in us becoming camels, quite frankly. Okay? The first phrase is this. Delayed gratification. This is a great phrase to trot out over Christmas time because kids everywhere have no capacity for delayed gratification when it comes to Christmas presents. Right? Was I the only one? I remember as a small child just digging through every corner of my parents' house, garage, shed, closet, laundry chute, laundry piles, looking for where the promise of the Christmas presents were. Anybody else ever do this? Wow. All right. I had no self-control when it came to Christmas presents, okay? The worst year ever was the year that I found them in the corner of my parents' walk-in closet. I mean, they were buried under like a hump of my dad's suits on top of all these boxes. And I don't know, I was seven or eight years old. I found every single present that was coming to either me or all my siblings. I knew what everything was. It was the worst December ever. I mean, it killed my hope. It killed my anticipation. It killed Christmas Eve and Christmas Day when we actually opened the presents and I had to try to pretend like I didn't know what anything was. And I was a horrible actor and my mom like sniffed me out and then I got punished <laughs> for writing my Christmas presents. Kids are not great at delayed gratification, right? But as we grow up, as adults, we know that holding at bay the satisfaction of taking that trip or whatever that good thing is that we're hoping for, you know, keeping it long enough so that we don't get frustrated, but so that our excitement and anticipation and enthusiasm builds for it, that is the best. Waiting increases our gratitude and appreciation rather than killing it if you are mature. The second phrase, oh, actually, I'm going to say a word about Hebrews 10 and 11. These are beautiful chapters in the scripture. And one of the, I think, the themes of God's heart that comes out of those two chapters are how uh, God finds beautiful the art of delayed gratification. You know, these chapters paint the picture of saints who heard the promises of God very clearly. And then the scripture says about these people that they were still living by faith when they died. How's that for delayed gratification? They did not receive the things that had been promised to them. They only saw them from afar and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were just foreigners and strangers here on earth and that they were longing for a better country where all of their hopes and desires would be satisfied. The second phrase I'd like to share with you is one that came out of Rev's prayer as well. 
active waiting. Usually, if we use the word waiting, we think it's a passive thing. I'm just waiting, passing the time, I'm twiddling my thumbs. Something is going to come from outside, and then it will find me, but I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. That is not a satisfactory or spiritually camel-like way to wait. Okay? That's all about what's coming from the outside. Being a mature spiritual camel is about actively waiting on the inside, choosing to wait, knowing that something is coming, maybe sooner, maybe later, maybe on the other side of the curtain, and being excited and ecstatic about it, about prayerfully bringing the thought to mind that it's not here yet, but God is going to do this. It's about kindling a fire of hope within ourselves. I maybe have waited two decades and I've only seen the glimmers or the signs, but God is going to... Just yesterday in this room, we had a funeral service for a man named Steve Decker. He always sat right over there. He was usually first in line uh, later in life to sing at the top of his lungs and raise his hands. Uh, Pastor Bert, in sharing a meditation on Steve's life, talked about all the things that Steve, you know, would be missing, having died at a relatively young age. With his wife, Diane, with his kids, with his whole parcel of grandkids who are still very small, in this life, it seems he is going to be missing... very much. But he was a man who died in faith and hope and with all confidence I can say that even though Steve will miss his grandkids in this life Steve in God's big economy of things is going to have delight and pleasure, and togetherness, and unity, and connections untold. And personally, because he was only 65 when he died, I hope that he gets more than some of us that get to enjoy them here. He died actively waiting, knowing that God was going to make good on lots of things that he would not taste or see in this life. Just two weeks ago, uh, I was in a very different kind of church. Uh, It was in an Indian house church in Mumbai. Pretty small room. I mean, like 15 by 20, maybe. Uh, It was a very different kind of worship service. Uh, Other than the pastor, everybody in the room except the Americans had become Christians within the last three months. It was not a particularly nice room. It was in a slum In Mumbai, everybody in that church came from nearby 10 by 10 rooms where they maybe lived with a family of five. In one sense, that that church gathering may seem to us as North Americans like a pretty hopeless situation, right? Economically, these people are not going to move out of the slum in Mumbai. They're not going to change their life for a better place to live or a high-paying job or some kind of social improvement, the kind that we pin so many of our hopes on. 
That was not on their radar screen. And yet, in that room two weeks ago, there was a palpable sense of eagerness and hope and Christian expectation about the awesome things that God would have for us believers, not only in the world to come, but in this life. Are you hearing me? And it was not about a place to live. It was not about money. It was not about social improvement. It was just that these Christians of three months or less had experienced Jesus Christ and now were able to imagine a life that was always going to get better because it meant getting closer and closer to God and closer and closer to each other. And they were actively waiting. I felt it in this worship service, actively waiting for a better life. Now we're rich. We have good jobs, relatively speaking. But can you feel in your heart of hearts that kind of waiting, burning down there? It's not the kind that you get from a catalog or an internet ad. The only way you're going to experience that is if God himself, through the Holy Spirit, put it inside you. Now, we are all waiting for something, okay? We might be waiting for something in particular that God has told us about, but in the big picture, we are all waiting for God's final promise, for Jesus to come back and make all things new. Now, I confess these days that whenever the topic of Jesus' return comes up in conversation, even among believers, I usually feel like the topic comes up, and I'm guilty of this myself, with a little bit of maybe humor to it. Like, you know, the Bible says Jesus is coming back, but it's been 2,000 years, people, right? Like, maybe he's never coming back, or it's just, it's going to be forever. Or we kind of talk like, it's just going to be postponed indefinitely. Or maybe worse of all, if we do think hard about it, we think about it with dread. Like we don't want him to come back. But the pages of scripture promise, among all of God's awesome promises, that the Savior not only came once, but that he is coming back to make all things new. And just like Jesus' first arrival took decades and hundreds of years and millennia, 2,000 years have gone by. But God is going to keep this promise. He is going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away all the tears. He's going to put an end to death and wars and selfishness and disharmony We're going to stop doing stupid stuff and saying stupid stuff. We're going to be in the presence of God and oriented by the presence of God so that we won't be able to sin anymore. And it's going to be a good, good day. It was like this with Jesus' first coming, too. At the end of Luke chapter 2, there was an old man named Simeon whom God had promised in particular that he would see eye to eye the Messiah, the coming one. And when Jesus was 40 days old, Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple 
for a consecration ceremony, and this old man got his heart's desire. He received God's promise face to face. And his words and his prayer are recorded for us. He said this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Take me away. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Church, Simeon knew how to wait. Camels, they know how to wait. The Magi, they knew how to wait. Long trip. The people of God know how to wait. We are built by the Lord himself with a spiritual capacity to wait for his promises to come true, for the amazing things that only God can do. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful that you are a God who makes promises and that all of your promises are good and that in just the right time and that in just the right way, you are going to say yes to every word that you have spoken in Jesus Christ. God, help kindle within us an ability to be like a camel, to delay gratification, to wait hopefully and prayerfully and expectantly. And we pray that during this month of Advent, you'll truly commune with our spirits and nurture um, the art of waiting in us. For Jesus' sake, amen. As a way of saying thank you to the God who promises and gives us so much, one of the things we do in worship every week is give our tithes and offerings to God. Um, this is a significant season for us at the end of a church year, uh, end of our budget year. So I challenge you and thank you for being as generous as you have been the last few weeks. And uh, keep up the great work. Invite the deacons forward. And while that's going on, uh, we're going to play a good old song about the Magi. I invite you to sing along.